And so I walked into the Double RL store in East Hampton and I'm wearing one of their like, so lame, but I'm wearing one of their like limited edition t-shirts and this guy Grant was working. He's like, how did you get that? Like, we couldn't even get those. And I was like, I don't know, man. I just got lucky. We start talking and he's like about my age and he's like, hey, you know, all of us are just summer employees. We all live at this old converted brothel house uh, down the street. You want to come hang out, drink, drink some beers, smoke something. It's like, yeah, it's this old like 11 story house and there's like weird little bedrooms everywhere. Uh, whatever. I'm over there and like just meeting like all his roommates and whatever. And I'm like, kind of telling him like, hey, yeah, I want to start this like weed company, this weed brand. It's going to be like pre-rolled joints. And one of them was like, stay right here. I have something to show you. Leaves, goes upstairs and he comes back and he has this box and it's like, it folds open and there's four cigarette packs on the bottom and four on the top. And it's like a beautiful, almost like you would see what liquor companies do. And the company's called Harmonization and they make hand-picked cigarettes. And it's just the most beautiful box and cigarettes, like the look you've ever seen. It's just like, like so, so exotic, like something I'd never seen before when you're used to like the Marlboros and Camels of your life. And I don't even think even in Europe they have anything like this. And so he brought this down and I said, I'm going to need this from you. Uh, here's the deal. Do you like acid? Because I have a tab of acid in my pocket that I'm going to give you for this box. He's like, I would have given this to you anyway. I was like, I would have given this to you anyway as well. Welcome to Lit Up Founders, a show about the entrepreneurial pioneers of the modern cannabis industry and the organizations they're building. Each episode features the founder themselves sharing their life's journey that inspired the entrepreneur within to create the most impactful ideas in modern cannabis. For those of you looking to start and scale a cannabis brand, this episode is for you. This one is also for all of you that follow your passion and run. The details, well, they'll just figure themselves out later. I love this guy and this episode. Serendipity is a funny thing. The universe has a way of presenting in front of you exactly what you need. You liking it? or not, at the time is irrelevant. It's October 2021. A colleague and I are at a happy hour in Las Vegas, hosted by a prospective vendor. As one does at a cocktail hour, you mingle. And we start chatting with this guy who is all smiles. In that genuine, friendly, neighbor next door you've known for a few years kind of way. I really like his hat too. It's this teal blue with pink script on it. As a lifelong East Coaster, it reminds me of 80s Miami. He's just chill. Turns out this friendly neighbor guy has a cannabis brand he's been growing for a few years. Go figure. His hat that I really like is his brand. As we wait for the Negronis that never came, he shares his journey with us. While we work in the industry, my guest and I are longtime tech people. And we're amazed how one actually starts a cannabis brand on top of all of that without actually touching the plant. As we come to find out in this interview, he did enough of that in his mom's garage earlier in life. After university, he got into a few fashion startups too. It all goes to show, when you find your passions, lean into them, follow those veins, it will all eventually come together to something amazing you're compelled to do and really good at. Please enjoy our founder's journey of building a multi-state cannabis lifestyle brand, Higgs, with founder and CEO, Oliver Higgins. I was a joint smoker for most of my cannabis life. So that was always kind of the product category that I, I was going to enter in. I wish I would have created edibles because it's way easier, less finicky customer. However, the biggest gap was there was no quality pre-rolls. It was forever in the old medical market. Let's take all the keef and dust and trim from our pounds that we're going to put on jars and roll in some pre-rolls and sell it to you for five bucks or give it to you for free. And so there wasn't really a product that was like, convenience of a pre-roll, quality of the flower inside that looked fashionable that someone would be like, oh, check this out. And so that's kind of, that was kind of the thought process going into it. Like, how do I make something fashion forward that breaks down the stigmas of smoking cannabis that you're like, I'm leaving that pack now on a, on a table and someone's asking what that pack is or like, oh, that's cool. And then they open it up and see its joints and like, oh my God, that's fucking incredible. So it's that kind of twofold reaction of creating this mystique and something cool enough that someone's like, what is that? And then the back end being like, oh shit, that's cannabis. So like, as you're developing this idea, like, how do you guys answer that? Like your brand is exceptional uh, on that, but like, what are some of the things that speak to you, you know, when you, when you are creating this? I think it's about one, finding the consistency and quality 
uh, first, which is to say, what is the input material going into my brand? Is that consistent? Are we going to be like McDonald's? Are all our potatoes going to come from the same farm in Idaho? So you, no matter what, tasting it from Northern California to Southern California, the same flowers in that white pack that it is anywhere else you go. Now, obviously, from state to state, that's impossible. But, you know, to kind of minimize those things uh, so you get that customer satisfaction every time. So there's no variation because I think that's so big and that it's a trust. You're building a trust within it. We're a CPG product at the end of the day. You're building trust in the consumer. That's why, you know, most of these things you buy a bag of chips or some hummus. It tells you, you know, the story of the farm and where it came from and why it's, you know, biodynamic and, you know, sustainable and all those things I, I think go with the story of, of trust with your consumer because, you know, I don't want a, a one-time Higgs consumer. I want a lifetime user. Mm-hmm. And where are you guys at today? Like you guys have been around since what, 2016, 20, 2017? Yeah, I kind of founded date of conception, inception, 2016, and then, uh, you know, launched 2017. And we just entered our third recreational state in uh, Michigan uh, this year, which is super exciting. It's a big deal launching a multi-state brand. So we want to explore that today. The thing with every founder, though, is it doesn't just start from that inception moment. We like to go back to the beginning and you know, like learn about the young you and actually even before you became you. So tell us about your parents. Uh, got a mom from England and a, a dad from San Francisco. Uh, I guess my mom went to go visit a friend of hers who was living in San Francisco at the time who worked for my dad, uh, never went home. Uh, they ended up moving to New York. Uh, I was born in New York city, uh, 1984. Uh, and then we moved out to Los Angeles, I would say when I was about six or seven. So anywhere like 90, 91, uh, shortly after they got divorced. Uh, so that was kind of like the first big moment of my life, I would say. And then what kind of, you know, set you on a path at that point of, okay, maybe I'm going to be doing this all on my own for the rest of my life. What does that really look like? You know, I, I think when you don't have that foundation of support, I mean, I was an athlete and I, I go back to like, okay, if they were together, would I have been a pro tennis player? Would I have done this in football? You know, all those things come to mind. But in reality, it's just kind of about, you know, where is like, what's guidance look like? Yeah, I mean, you can't second guess uh, whatever's happened. Like those are the life choices right there. Is it just No, you? now I have my own company, Higgs, and it's like fantastic. Like I wouldn't want it any other way, I guess, but it's the way it is right now. Is it, uh, is yeah, it, just, I've been, is it I, just you growing up? Are you an only child? Uh, older brother, two years older than me. Okay. Uh, okay. Three grades older than me, though. So, like, when I was a freshman, he was a senior, oh. which also meant that, like, you know, in the world of like high school, I was screwed from day one. Of like, the minute he starts smoking weed, I'm starting smoking weed. You know, he's going out senior year, driving me to school. We're doing like wake and bakes before school, but like, because he's got nothing to do the second half. So it's like, it's funny when it happens that way. So you had that you know, older influence, though, to kind of like maybe kind of escalate, you know, some of those those things that come along the way as you as you as you mature. Absolutely. Like when I've started smoking cannabis at 13 years old without an older brother, maybe. But, you know, Probably definitely uh, help push the move the needle a little bit. Well, you know, even with that older influence there, like what were some of the things that you got into as a kid? What were some of your passions? I, I, I remember I heard in one of the other interviews that you've done that you were like top 10 in California as a tennis player. Yeah, when I was like 11 years old, I was ranked top 10 in California. I had also begged my mom since I was six years old to play tackle football. And so the minute she, and that was also, this is one of those older brother things. When I was then 14, he, or maybe 13, he was playing high school tackle football. So I was like, well, mom, he's playing. I'm allowed to play. And the minute she let me play football, I put down a racket for the rest of my life. Which And that was it? Ever touched it again? I mean, a handful of times. I'm still pretty good considering, um, but I was a well-publicized California football player. Sweet. Did you play in college too? Um, I played at Pasadena City College. Uh, had some offers for, you know, some Ivy League schools and some other, you know, one double A's, but... Why'd you stay at home? Uh, that was Pasadena City College was the uh, number one uh, junior college in, in the nation at that time. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up going to, I went up, I ended up going to University of Miami. Nice. Okay. We went to the U. So how do you... Yeah, I went to the U. Kind of, <laughs> I, did, I just wanted palm springs. I wanted palm trees on the other side of the country is what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, the, the, you got tired of the LA palm trees and you're just yeah, like, I, I, I got to see what these other ones look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ours are imported anyway. These aren't even real. Give me, give me somewhere that you're actually from. That's funny. That's funny. Um, so, I mean, you had mentioned earlier that like, you know, your brother was a big influence on you, you know, doing, 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 not that we condone all this here, but like doing wake and bakes and, and whatever else. What were some of your other... Let me first preface, I I was not involved with the Wake and Bakes that young. They were going down around me, and I'm just like, okay, this is the life. I mean, you know, 
secondhand. These things happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did that, was that like start of your curiosity into, into what this is and cannabis? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I would say they used to throw these like weird, like middle school parties at this church in Pacific Palisades that was across the street from Palisade, Palisades High uh, School. And so, you know, there's a, we'll get to there a couple of movies that were very influential on my early uh, cannabis smoking life. Uh, Such I mean, as half like, they, half yeah. they came out the year I started smoking weed. And so like, you're taking the future funniest man in the world ever, Dave Chappelle, combining with the thing you just started smoking that like, you love comedy and laughing. And it's like, oh, game over. Like my friends, uh, Graham's first bong was named lovable old James. So just like, and then the other one was, I would say like days confused, although it came out a little earlier, like, let's go smoke a joint on the 50 fucking yard line. Well, we went and did that after one of these parties. So my first time I ever smoked weed was on the 50 yard line of Pally high. (laughs) I mean, that's a, that's a nice story right there. I like that. Um, you you took a trip to Amsterdam too. When did that come about? That was, uh, my friend Ben Luber and I, uh, took a backpacking trip to Europe when we graduated from college. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'd been to Europe because my mom and spent some time, but this was our first like on your own landing in Amsterdam going to, you know, I think we went to, the Bulldog Cafe in Lightisplane was mm-hmm. the first, you know, super touristy one. We ended up going to the gray area and the other ones after, but, you know, sat down at the Bulldog Cafe, got some, I, I think it was probably White Widow because that was the most popular back then. Got some White Widow, got a glass of orange juice, rolled a joint outside of this cafe table, smoking. You're like, oh, well, this is the life right here. Why am I in a garage at home smoking weed with my friends and like people out there just in the world clearly enjoying like, you know, life and cannabis together. And that's when it was like, okay. This is a lifestyle product, just as if you want to go out to a bar and drink and socialize with friends. This doesn't have to be this kind of private experience. It can be part of the world you're in. It took away it being in the shadows, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So that was a really big moment for you then. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so you graduated from university. I'm sure you're having a great time in Miami. Um, what was some of those early career paths for you? Uh, so, I mean, I was always a filmmaker. Uh, so, you know, that's why I studied in college. And then I ended up moving to New York and working as uh, on a couple HBO pilots uh, early on. And then trying to do my own thing as a director, writer, director, producer. But mm-hmm. I kind of just didn't have the network in New York that I had. Like, I didn't go to NYU. I didn't have a car then. I, You know, it's cold half the year. It's just very hard. <laughs> do you need a car in New York? <laughs> no, that's why. We didn't, that's why I didn't have one. Uh, <laughs> But it, it was very hard to get your own production company off the ground. And so I kind of bumbled around New York for a while because I was born there and felt like, oh, I wish I would have known what my life would have been like had I spent, you know, age zero to 18 in New York rather than, you know, age zero to six or seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I ended up moving back to Los Angeles and partnering with a buddy of mine, Evan Rudin. And we started, went to USC and a filmmaker and we created a production company together uh, called Rude Boy Higgins. Okay. So not very creative in any of my names, I have to say, unfortunately. <laughs> but... Uh, that's not the most important part. No, not at all. What were some of the uh, projects so that you worked on there? Uh, we did some ads for like Vibin Water, Cheap Tickets, did a couple of music videos. Um, and then I got another opportunity to work for that same uh, writer-director, David Milch, on uh, a couple of his projects. And it was just, you know, and I feel like for your 20s, the best thing to do is acquire as many skills and talents as you possibly can because that will keep you going. And so for me, I felt the, the weakest point about my career in film was as a writer. So to work so like for him was just, it was instrumental and kind of like, okay, you're taking maybe one of the best writers that's ever been in the history of television and learning that craft. So if you ever want to continue that, although what ended up happening was getting very burnt out and seeing someone who was so talented, kind of getting manipulated by the, the higher ups and powers of be where you're like, Oh, you actually can't, even if you're David Milch, you can't have your own autonomy in this kind of world. There's always going to be some producer or some network that wants you to change your vision. And I think that's kind of what drove me to be an entrepreneur. Like, just because I, I want I feel like I have a vision, no matter if it's clothing, film, or, you know, cannabis, that this is the way I feel like it should go. And I have to rely and believe that's the way to go or else you'll never get anywhere. Interesting. Interesting. That's a rather good realization to, to come about as a, as a young age of like, I'm glad you had those experiences to fail and, you know, really work on your weak points there. But to, to realize that, you know, the, the buck, even if you're like the greatest of what you're doing, there's always somebody who's, who, who, who can control the strings on that. 
Um, I saw in your one of the few bios that you had um, uh, you did some fashion brands as well. I mean, I don't want to divert too much on that, but like, I mean, I know Higgs got some some cool T-shirts that you're wearing today, but like, no, it's called uh, a couple of streetwear brands in college called Once Upon a Time, and then another one called Imaginary Friends, which never really got off the ground, but was kind of my own. The other one was part of it with a couple other people, the people that uh, helped with Illustiva sunglasses, and that was kind of like an early. 2000 streetwear brand uh, we went to like magic shows in vegas and did all that and you know <laughs> interesting so you're tar targeting that vertical i see like you know in in your history here there's a lot of creative focus was that something that was a huge passion for you for a long time absolutely i i actually don't know if i'm an artist trapped in a businessman's body or a businessman trapped in an artist's body <laughs> but it's definitely one of the two are kind of overlapping uh but it definitely is a, what i love about having my own brand and the Higgs brand is I get to do all those things under one banner. Now I get to create clothing and apparel. I get to create films and videos under it. I get to throw events under it because there was a time I was actually after film, I ended up throwing a bunch of like underground events around Los Angeles. Okay. It's called brass ring. And I would have 500 person invitation only parties. I would cut out little two by two squares with just the address and hand them out to people two weeks leading up to the party. And obviously, if you found out where the address was, I would let you in. But like, that was the first momentum to kind of get there. But I love all three of those things so much. Like, I love events probably the most. I threw my like, high school prom party and I threw my football team a party every Friday when we won. We started the season 10 and 0. So I'm just like, I'm enjoying the, yeah, the umbrella that Higgs brings to have all that kind of creative outlets, which I need. So this venue is almost, I mean, like this endeavor is almost a uh, amalgamation of all your different passions just down this particular channel here that, uh, that is cannabis. So absolutely, absolutely. You, I think I read this somewhere, but you, you started growing fairly early on. Like when did you pivot after this, you know, this, you know, the events company, like when did yeah. like cannabis as a business start to become like a real idea for, for you? Um, I mean, well, there was the growing, so the cannabis is like a business, I think happened around like age 30, 31. Okay. Um, so about six years ago was yep. when I was like, Hey, you know what? Um, cause what happened was I ended up also working for this, a friend's dispensary. They opened up a, a store on Pico. It was called the green mile at that point because mm -hmm. it had three on every block. And so after it kind of, I was like, a little, I got invited to go do the branding for the store and also help with the cultivation in which I had a decade long experience at that point. And so went there that ended up getting shut down by Mike Fuhrer and it was kind of like 2017 raids. You were the pre ICO you weren't. And especially somewhere like Pico and Fairfax, like they were going to shut down at least to a block. And so we got caught up in that. And then I was kind of just like, well, you know what, this is going to get legalized soon. I love cannabis. I have deep roots as a grower. Like I'm a brand person. Like what do I want to create? And it was always going to be a pre-rolls because I was a joint smoker at that point for, you know, 15 years. So I was like, I want to create a like, cool box of joints. And that and was that, kind of like just the first iteration. This was like the spark idea here that you're like, it, it's tough running a dispensary. It's tough growing. Like, was this really kind of where this, the seeds of, of what became Higgs really started from? Yeah, well, there just weren't that many brands there. I, you know, I feel like I was two years too late and two years too early. Two years too late because had we been two years earlier, we could have got a bunch of market share in California because like there just weren't that many regulations that you get on shelves. And then two years too early because I wish I would have let some of these regulations kind of shake out before we launched, you know, <laughs> January 1, 2018 with no partner and no white labeling deals because white labeling wasn't even allowed then. And you're like, okay, so what are we, just a fashion company then? Like it, it was very hard to kind of navigate like just selling what we were here. in the space. Yeah. And I, Honestly, wish I would have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I had so the real spark for, I guess, the aesthetic side, which is what I care uh, a lot about, was I had two weddings that were in the Hamptons in New York that spanned like three and a half weeks, I want to say, because one was over like Memorial Day weekend. And so it was either like come back to LA for like a week in between these weddings or kind of stay out there. And my friend Dustin had rented a house for the summer. He's like, yo, I'm not going to be there for all of June. Just camp out at my place. Like, Sukasa, all good. So like I roll good, out there good with problems to have really good Great problems problem to have. have. I roll out there with a bunch of fucking weed, my longboard skateboard and like a fucking some suits for these weddings. <laughs> and like, I'm like, I think it's like highway 27. Like there's videos of me holding onto like ice cream trucks and stuff on my skateboard and just like cruising down highway 27. It was, it was like a really enjoyable time. But anyway, I was a big, I'm a big double RL fan, the clothing. And so I walked into the double RL store in East Hampton and 
I'm wearing one of their like, so it's lame, but I'm wearing one of their like limited edition t-shirts and this guy, Graham, who's working, is like, how did you get that? Like, we couldn't even get those. And I was like, I don't know, man. I just got lucky. We start talking and he's like about my age and he's like, hey, you know, all of us are just summer employees. We all live at this old converted brothel house uh, down the street. You want to come hang out, drink, drink some beers, smoke something. And so, yeah, it's this old like 11 story house and there's like weird little bedrooms everywhere. Uh, but I'm over there and like just meeting like all his roommates and whatever. And I'm like, kind of telling him like, hey, yeah, I want to start this like weed company, this weed brand. It's going to be like pre-roll joints. And one of them was like, stay right here. I have something to show you. Leaves, goes upstairs and he comes back and he has this box and it's like, it folds open and there's four cigarette packs on the bottom and four on the top. And it's like a beautiful, almost like you would see with liquor companies do. And the company's called Harmonization. And they make hand-picked tobacco cigarettes. And it's just the most beautiful box and cigarettes, like the look you've ever seen. It's just like, like so, so exotic, like something I'd never seen before when you're used to like the Marlboros and Camels of your life. And I don't even think even in Europe they have anything like this. And so he brought this down and I said, I'm going to need this from you. Uh, here's the deal. Do you like acid? Because I have a tab of acid in my pocket that I'm going to give you for this box. He's like, I would have given this to you anyway. I was like, I would have given this to you anyway as well. <laughs> I mean, and so he brought me these cigarettes and like the early Higgs looked like cigarettes. It's the one thing I wish that's like still looked like. The problem was early dispensaries didn't want to be associated with the look of cigarettes at all. But they, they were the coolest version of the Higgs that ever existed. Because I'd be like outside at bars smoking one of these things in Los Angeles. Right next to a bouncer would be like, who's smoking weed? I was like, I don't know, man. You uh, should, uh, should it, definitely go find them. He's like, oh my God, <laughs> definitely am. I was like, and I would tell friends that this would happen. I would prove it out with them. And it was just like, not that I wanted so to go had undercover filter on it. there and everything. Like it was like just rolled the same way. So every what we night. did was we t- we I got like got these empty tubes. I took out the kind of cotton acetate filter. Mm-hmm. I put in elements filters because we got these long sort of like skinny things. And then I got these like individual cigarette filling machines from China. Like you did one at a time. So I like, used to do that in college. We had the American spirit stuff and I would like, you pack the tobacco in there and you just like, you roll it up and you'd have these, you know, you'd make your own cigarettes. So yeah, like, it's I not it's worth comedian. the time at all. There's a guy named Abdullah Saeed. He's a comedian. He used to be on these vice shows, but mutual friends. And he's like, I would love if you could make me like a, a blend. I was like, well, what's your ratio? He's like, oh, I'm like a 60-40 guy. So I made him a 60-40 weed to tobacco blend individual with some Higgs packs. <laughs> that was fun. And he loved it, didn't he? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, it was good. A pack of like personal splits. And like, so, I'm more of a pure cannabis guy, but like, you know, to each his own. All to each it. his own. To each his own. So like, that's where things started rolling. So that was some of the early prototypes there. Yeah. And then I went home and I was like, so I had, I basically, obviously as a, uh, I had plants growing at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I basically was like, okay, cool. What, how can I monetize this? Or like, how can I fund this business? Or at least how do I get this off the ground? Oh, at least I know that I can grow a shit ton of marijuana over the summer outdoors and I'll have eight to 10 pounds to test out. Let's and pause on that, that for a second. I skipped yeah. over that part. And I meant to ask that question of like, you started growing in, in your mom's garage, right? Oh yeah. So my first summer home from university of Miami, uh, it was, that would have been like, what is that? 2000, I want to say no, yep. 2004, I would say 2004, uh, came home. And then all of a sudden, like you could just get a weed card. And there was this guy named Dr. Eisenberg who ended up getting busted for also, I think, selling like prescription pills. I'm like, I don't know why you're doing that. You're getting $200 for someone to sign their name (laughs) and you're seeing a hundred patients a day. But anyway, so in that same day, I got a medical marijuana card and bought clones. And I was like, oh, well, fuck, I need to like now learn how to grow. Went down to like the local electrical shop, lighting shop. Because there weren't even like back then, there was no like hydroponic store. So you didn't go to like the local gardening store or anything like that. And you're like, I'm no, I went to this lighting store and I was like, I've done my research. I need two 400 watt metal halide bulbs with a ballast on top and these domes and some high pressure sodiums for this flower time. I obviously didn't tell him what I was really doing, but I was like, I got the metal halide and the high pressure (laughs) sodium. Sure, you weren't the only guy walking in the store. Kind of like, you know, I wish I still had these things because they're just so, but they're so dinosaur. They're like those giant, like fucking metal hoods. And I'm just like, this is a joke. But yeah, the the electrical meter just like rolling around. Everything, yeah. (laughs) And so that was the first summer home. I grew some, I grew some plants and I was like, well, this is cool. And it was legal. So your mom's cool with it, right? No, no issues there. No arguments. No arguments. Everything above board. Okay. Um, So anyway, so like, you were doing that for a long time, right? For about 10 years. Yeah. Actually, what I told my mom eventually when I would like go off is like, hey, can you take care of these plants downstairs? 
they're beautiful. You're going to love them. They grow super quick. Like, you know, once you get something dialed in, it's not that hard. You're like, here's the recipe. You here's can't recipe. fuck it up that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so fast forward a few other years, you come back and you already have, you know, your skills from, from growing have been helping you out for all this time. You know that you, what, was it 10, 12 pounds that you could have by the end of the, uh, by the end of the season? Yeah. Just enough that I knew that I could do some like, you know, research and like some real R and D. Okay. Uh, and in that meantime, I, you know, as an artist, like, you know, I, I used to do a bunch of like stenciling and wheat pasting in college. So I was pretty handy with an exacto knife. Uh, and so I started building out the early prototype packs. I went to, you know, the art store and I got all different thickness size papers. I've told the story before. The first one looked like an 80s cell phone. Cause you're like, I use that little like quarter inch foam core board. And I was like, well, these are cool, but these this are not giant these are not Zach the Morris kind of thing. Yeah, or? These are not the uh, chic looking fashion forward pack that I had in my mind. And so I got that down to the size that I wanted. And then I was with my friend, Johnny Sachs, who uh, created something called jammy pack. It was like the little, it was, it was like a fanny pack that had speakers in it. <laughs> but anyway, I just knew that he had a guy. In I mean, China. those might be coming back too on the tail end of the, uh, the <laughs> maybe, maybe, but he's, he's also the one I was just, he's like, when I was also trying to figure out my website, he's like, I was like, oh, Higgs.com is taken. He's like, bro, no one uses .com anymore. He's like, do Higgs.life. I was like, wait, you can do that? And I was like, right then, Higgs.life. And I was like, well, that's everything. I'm glad, anyway, you, found the right, I'm glad you found the right URL. <laughs> they do limit those. <laughs> well, that's the inside joke, but don't make me feel like I'm technologically stupid, which I am. I'm willing to admit that I don't do well with technology, but that's for another time. <laughs> So how did this pilot work? Like you're growing these plants. You're like, this is what I'm doing. You're, 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 you're making some of these, you know, like mock-ups of what you want to do. Like what came of that? Yeah, I got the machine. I, I, I another sort of situation, like everything was very serendipitous, how this kind of all came about, which I don't actually recommend doing for anyone. It just, this is kind of how it went. That is entrepreneurship my though in life. I know. <laughs> uh, similarly, like I, I, so fast forward to like, I've harvested the marijuana, the prototype packs are done. Like I've built out 20 from the art store that are like the perfect size that fits the cigarette joints that I'm looking for. Next step is like, I really need some sort of like graphic designer, like next step to, to do this. So, uh, I'm at my friend, I mean, go to meet my friend Graham at, uh, where is that place? Uh, Shay J, I think that was, Oh no, it was the galley over in Santa Monica. And he's got one of his childhood friends, Gillian, there, who works for one of the biggest creative agencies called Matt in New York. And she's like, hey, you should talk to this young designer named Hannah Chung. She just moved here. And so, like, fast forward to, like, a couple weeks later, I meet Hannah in Marina Playa del Rey. I got my prototype pack, and I'm like, yo, this is the idea I got. And she's like, I fucking love it. And she was my first employee. Wow. And she's been with me ever since. And, like, Seriously, I honestly... Still with you to this day. I, yeah, I don't think I, I mean, she now lives in Italy with her husband, but we, we do things from afar, but I don't think uh, Higgs would be anywhere without her. Be quite so honest. What, what did she do? She knows how to, well, she knows how to basically, because I don't have the technical skill sets of a designer. She knows how to extract what's in my brain and put it down into uh, whatever world we're talking about. And I can sketch things out for her. I can, you know, there'll be plenty of times where she's like, I don't know if we can do that. I was like, well, I see it in my head. So I know it can be done. Give me some color pencils and a paper. But I've and seen it. Here like, we go. I, if, I can, if I can see something three-dimensionally in my head, I know we can put it down three-dimensionally, two-dimensionally on a piece of paper. Yep. And so then we just kind of, you know, we, we talked about colors. It was always important for me to kind of create this like 90s version California brand. That was like so important to just like the vibe, colors, everything, and to make it unisex. Like it's a product for everyone. And so it was pink and blue. It was just like perfect for me. You know, I think that was from my early tennis roots. Those are my early Andre Agassi, like mm -hmm. early nineties. Like if you look at a picture of me when I'm like six years old playing tennis, like I would wear the same colors as I would now that I call coming back and they look like Higgs colors. <laughs> yeah. They look like Higgs colors. Uh, yeah. Cause a lot of people say Miami vice as well. And like when I met you, we were at a happy hour at, at, at MJ biz and it was just like, that guy's got an awesome hat, man. And he's like, Oh, he has my brand. And I'm like, God, like I like it. And like, just looking at it makes you feel more relaxed. It feels like there's palm trees around. It just, it's just, it, it's, there's a vibe that comes along with it. And maybe it speaks to people of our generation. Um, but like, there is an ethos to that. And like, whether you see something from the 60s or 70s or 80s, if it has that vibe, it resonates with you very well. And your brand did that exceptionally well. And I really, I really appreciated that about Thank that. you so much. So, yeah, no, thank you. Um, so you got these prototypes here. You're trying to build these packs, these boxes, like, how do we keep this train going? Like, how do we get this stuff to market? Cause you're still not there yet. No. So now I have an actual product and an idea and a brand and I go out and raise a little bit of money. 
I probably yeah. raised like 20 grand to start. Friends and family. Friends and family. Brother put in 10 and another friend put in 10, took another bit on loan. Okay. And so I was like, okay, we got, we got something now. Like we can at least buy like, cause especially like, you know, we can produce it ourselves under this caregivers model. So we started like a caregiver caregivers for life. No, uh, Canyon care. Um, and yeah, and just, then just got moving. So and you were growing first, your first, own, your, the whole, the original, the initial plan was you're going to grow your own underneath caregiver model and then like go out through that market. That was your, that was your, forgive me for being businessy, but like that was your channel that you were going to. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, yeah, because uh, it got punched in the face really hard because we're then preparing like, okay, we launched like, you know, sometime in 2017. I can't remember exactly, uh, but it became very clear very soon it was going to legalize. And at that point, you then couldn't white label. They didn't have any of those kind of laws written in. We'd done some clothing, but and we were building a lifestyle brand. But we're still like, okay, well, at the end of the day, we have to be a, a product as well or else like who knows what we'll be. And so we went out and we were told we needed to go, you know, get a lease on a office space. Oh. And so we went and got a lease on an office space. And they're like, oh, well, you know, just cause you have this lease doesn't mean you're allowed to operate out of there until like these regulations are done and this is checked and you got these forms. And it was like- And this is California, so you have to go to like 18 different agencies, And it was the most right? 18 agencies and they're all corrupt to be quite honest. And they like, I don't even think like, you know, it's three years after that, that they started issuing like licenses for our class. And so it became like, you know, six months into this, like realizing what was happening and having no money left in the bank being like, okay, we need to like pivot and figure out what this is because it can't be us running the operations ourselves. We'll never survive. Like we would have to go raise too much money in order to keep our like, you know, operations. paying for rent play. that you're not even using. Not even using. And so... Uh, brought a kid named uh, Judson on, who's uh, I think the reason why I know each other. And Judson started working on kind of our, our partnership deals. And he found us, you know, a company called Greenstone out in uh, like, starts now, south of downtown. I forget where it is now. Uh, but found them, said, hey, we got a brand, we got the packaging, you guys got the manufacturing license and, a, and a, a access to flour. Like, let's let's do a licensing deal. And that was our first like kind of real deal in cannabis. That was a big spark moment there. Cause that changed your whole pivot of the business of like, well, that's like not- your business. Now you're operating in the space under someone's license, under a real contract, you know, exactly what's kind of happening. So when you're going to these growers, like, you know, what did that picture look like when you're pitching to them being like, Hey, this is what I want to do. And I need you to produce this stuff for us. Like, what was the initial feelings and emotions that you want to convey with that? Like, what, what do those conversations look like? Um, you know, I wish, you know, you said cultivation. I think our biggest mistake was going after a manufacturer that didn't have a cultivation. They had access to this farm, but not, it wasn't theirs. And so we didn't have the supply chain that we really needed. We were then eventually getting like, you know, fourth pick on whatever flower they brands that they didn't want to use for whatever partnerships the farm had with other people. And it was like, Oh, California isn't a a commodity based cannabis world just yet. Like you actually do want to figure out what that supply chain looks like and know that you have access to like we talked about that same flower over and over again. I guess all my time at flourish has really made me think about some of the upstream here. So, um, (laughs) so how did, how did, so there's some, I'm assuming there are some lessons that were there, but like, how did you eventually get to, cause you guys have a farm in, in California that you, that you you started working with how did that you know those roads end up connecting i mean i think that's just through persistence to be yeah. quite honest i mean i i'm now we've been in california since you know 2018 which that's four years of work in california to finally have proved ourselves out enough to say hey we can partner with a cultivation that we're worth you're we're worth you taking a section of your garden and your labor and devoting it to our product okay okay so you know, as you're standing up a small business and you're learning some of those hard lessons along the way, because I, I know in the beginning of this episode that you're like, you know, brands are an establishment of trust. Brands are an establishment of like consistency and whatever else. And I like actually really, it really resonated with me what you had on, on the website of like, you know, this is an everyday cannabis kind of item. It is something that is not going to be super hard hitting it's going to be mellow. It's going to be something that you can enjoy socially. Like, how did you convey that um, initially to, you know, as you're trying to find the right products for these things? 
Yeah, I mean, it was like I think the big key, the big pop keyword was like social smoke. It okay. wasn't like getting you super stoned. It was called social smoke, but yep. you know that had its own flaws as well because then the consumer didn't. It's not like it was you know someone will pay for light beer compared to beer because they don't want something that's quite as heavy. There's no difference in cost. It's just a personal choice. Cannabis, we haven't reached that yet. It's why you see these infused stuff that people are willing to spend as much as you can to get as you know effed up as you can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, little and, and so we're just kind of getting back to that. But yeah, no, please. No, slight. I mean, like every time I go into a dispensary, it's like I look at the you know what's available and it's very high THC you know items, and I'm like, that's not me, man. Like, like why is that like a thing right now? And do you have any take on that? Just like as a quick aside, besides uh... that's that's just education. We're just so far away from people understanding the way cannabinoids and terpenes work with each other. Like, mm-hmm. I can get you some eighteen percent THC that has eight percent eight percent terpenes. That's gonna make you fly way more than some thirty percent that mm-hmm. has you know one percent terpenes in it that's grown outdoors, but just says thirty. So. Yeah, it's really just an education thing, and it's it's not something individual brands can do or even the industry can do just yet. It will just take time. Yeah, you know, okay. it will take trust. It will say someone, you know what, like, oh, I tried eggs and it was twenty one percent, but I really love that over the twenty eight that I smoked. And the ROA's thing is like, I want cannabis to add to your experience, not define it. Yeah. That's really big for me. I, mm-hmm. Whatever it is, Higgs is supposed to. You're going out to see a movie. You're going skiing. You're going surfing. You're like. You're going to hang out with friends and laugh. Like it's not, oh, we're going to get high and then maybe do something else. It's like I'm doing something, I'm doing this, and I'd like to add this other equation into it. I think that's the way it should be, and those are the most enjoyable yeah. experiences I've ever had, and I think a lot of other people as well. So now, as you're, and I think that's a great messaging for your brand to to have in face of these other things. Because I go into the dispensary and I see like there's one choice that's sub twenty percent, and it's it's kind of challenging to be able to find. Um, you know, something that doesn't just dominate the room. Um, so as you're trying to grow that, and obviously that fits to the lifestyle and the way that you use, you, you, you enjoy cannabis yourself, as you're trying to grow that, how do you message that out? Like how is some of those early days in, in the formation of, of the Higgs brand resonate? Cause you have two different packs. And I know there was some struggle with having, you know, like Sativa, uh, Sativa and uh, in Indica on them. So tell us a little bit about like the packaging and the branding and the messaging as that evolves. Yeah. I mean, uh, that goes through all the other ancillary stuff we talked about that goes yeah. through the videos and goes through the apparel, but really goes through the events. It's how am I building a community around this brand? Mm-hmm. Like, what does it say when we throw a Higgs party, what's happening there? And like, for me, like, I don't think Cannabis and alcohol should be separate. I like drinking and I like smoking. And I go to these only cannabis events and I find them, quite frankly, super lame because it, it's awkward. It's why you, people don't have podcasts where you like just get high on there because people shut down unless you're Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. And I don't think like, you know, we don't need to be like, just because we're pro-cannabis, anti-other things. So for me, it was about building this whole lifestyle. Like we're and just about to launch this summer. We're doing a comedy Mondays at a friend's place called Shore Bar. And it was, you know, Higgs sponsors Dope Mondays at the Shore Bar. And, you know, that goes back to my roots of like, oh, cannabis is fashionable. It's cool. We want to build these like apparel brands, but it's also like meant to have a good time and laugh. Yeah. And that, that allows you to be like, oh, I went to this comedy show. I smoked the Higgs in the back patio. I laughed my ass off for three hours. And like, then I went home, went to sleep. Like it's, it's so it's building those kind of things and those, you know, more than just activations, it's building the whole, what is the lifestyle that you're building and what events are you putting on to back that up? What clothing are you building? Who is that going on to? They're like, oh, I like that person. They represent Higgs. Like, oh, I'll try some Higgs. That's it. That's I, I, need, I need you to just get to try it once and that's <laughs> it. You know, and if you don't like it, it's not for you. That's not for you. But at least, at least take a dab. So you as know? you're trying to get the product out there, like, you know, I know we talked a little bit pre-show. It's like, this is a very unique industry where you know, you're delivering your product out to these dispensaries and it's kind of on consignment. And if they don't pay, you have no recourse to that. Um, how are you managing cash flow amongst, you know, as, as you're ramping up um, the startup? Uh, a lot of loss and uh, gray hair is how I'm handling it. <laughs> uh, yeah, as we spoke about, it, it's the only industry that I know that you have no recourse if someone doesn't pay you. And it's not like we're talking like one or two stores here. Like, I'm, I would say, you know, there's probably 10% of the stores year after year that don't pay. Wow. And obviously, like, that will get better as the industry matures, as we find out who the bad operators are. 
But it's 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 a mind blowing thing that says like not only are you going to say net ninety terms, which is crazy to begin with for cash flow and thing, the ninety days are up and you're just not going to pay me. I mean that's the MedMen thing. It's like oh yeah. MedMen's this giant corporation. Actually, I know it's been like a year and a half, but can we give you stock now instead of money? And it's like no, no. <laughs> your stock's about to be worth twelve cents. So please no. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's that is always that's been the biggest hiccup is you know cash flow for a small business compared to like. Also, the packaging, you know, the timelines to order packaging, even in a good year when it's not after COVID, is still two to three months in advance to get it there on time. So now you're saying like, okay, I got to put all this money aside for packaging, and we're an asset-like company. We don't have to buy the flour for most of the time. But even just packaging, I got to buy this packaging three months in advance, and I'm not getting paid from that store for three months from when I sold it. And so it, it creates a very influx that's uh, pretty tough to deal with. As that a small is, business. That is super tough. So a lot of your packaging is, is ordered from overseas then? Uh, all of it is yeah. ordered from overseas. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So yeah, that's a, those are big challenges. Like, how did you get through that? Like, just like just making deals and like, hey, if I'm getting, if I have to work out these deals with you guys, I have to have it go downstream? Or how did you- uh, I don't know, just like sheer willpower. That? Sheer willpower, to be quite honest, and like networking. And like, you know, I've, I've met a couple people now throughout the years of like, who, you know, this kid, friend of mine, Charles, he's now part of a, you know, subsidiary of this tobacco company in China. So now he's like, Hey, Ollie, like I can make margins on this. You can make margins on this. Like I'll give you a better price than what you're paying right now. I can make money on this. I'll order this for you in advance. And you now buy it from me when it's already landed in California. And so I'm pay- I'm saving 15 cents. He's making 20 cents and I don't have to outlay the hundred thousand dollars for packaging, you know, that I once had to. And like, that's, I mean, that's a very recent thing. That's in the last couple of months just wow. for, we're building all this momentum. And so I'm just trying to navigate and figure out, okay, how do I do this? If I'm not raising any more money, which, you know, I'd like to, but mm-hmm. let's say no more money comes in. How do I navigate and grow? Because yeah. what was frustrating for so long is, you know, I, I've been, been doing this for so long and I'll, you know, even like come last year, people are still like, oh, it's a nice, like, nice proof, proof of concept, but, you know, show us when you've done a little better, you know, I was like, I can't do better numbers until you give me money for more packaging. <laughs> I can only grow at like 3% because until you give me that, I can't say sell more. Because if I try and double the amount of accounts that I'm in, then half the accounts aren't going to have packaging. Yep, and so it's, it's been a kind of like, you know, head on a swivel, treading water, figure out where those next opportunities are going to come from and, you know, really attack those. I thought one of those would have been Oklahoma, which we did launch in mm-hmm. uh, about a year and a half ago. But again, just not the right environment to go launching. And so this Michigan deal kind of happened and pulled all our product from Oklahoma, moved all the packing into Michigan. And we've done more uh, in Michigan this first quarter than we did all of uh, combined last year. I mean, year. even your packaging looks warm. So I could see how it resonates to uh, people in Michigan, and especially in the winter. Um, well, that's what we talk about. Like, bring a, bring a L.A. brand east. It always works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just maybe not in Oklahoma. What went wrong with Oklahoma? Not to Not to – Digress or roll back there, but like uh, just not a good things. product market fit and not, not good partners, uh, way too many licenses. Like I would, again, one of those things of timing, had we been a year earlier, would have been a nice cash grab, mm-hmm. could have made some money and probably still would have gotten out. Now the market's completely bottomed out. They're servicing mostly other States. Like they have more medical marijuana dispensaries than every other state combined. It's just, it's truly the wild west and it's in Oklahoma. So everyone's got five acres to say they can grow some flour or whatever they want to do. I even heard at one point, if you cash in your stimulus check, you could get a license. Like forget the half a million dollars in inventory you need to run a store. I'm just like, it was that kind of thought process that's going to slow them down. Boomer sooner, boomer sooner. Well, I'm glad you learned how to pivot. And like, it's actually the consummate like entrepreneurship skill of like hustle and innovation and like making it work. Um, so you landed in Michigan, you just launched there and you're with a, a few different places. What are those, what are those ones in, in Michigan that you're at with right now? Like the retail partners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we launched with a uh, new standard, uh, 315, jars, uh, a couple of the, and Joyology, uh, and they all have, you know, it's, it's funny cause California is bigger and been long established, but you know, I think the store that I think probably Stizzy has the most stores with like 11 or something. Mm-hmm. And all of those groups in Michigan, that I just mentioned have at least nine, 10 stores. Mm-hmm. And so like right off the bat, you're launching with like really mature groups who have coverage all over the state. So you don't have to go to these kind of like quote unquote mom and pop stores. You get to go to someone servicing the entire state and has central distribution or, you know, hopefully, you know, centralized buying. Mm-hmm. 
That must help. Now, actually, one thing we didn't talk about, like the business model here is like you guys are doing the branding and the imaging and the sales support and the design. Do you have like feet on the street out there that are going out and just trying to like as a vendor rep and out to the stores and trying to represent yeah. that brand? Or are you doing absolutely? And I, I would yet? say you know on the operation side, like you know, kind of those pivoting and setbacks is you know all these companies that are like, oh, we're a distribution company, we have ten brands, why don't we slide you into our portfolio? You might do well with the herbals of the world, even some people are leaving them, you need boots on the ground representing just your brand. So to answer your question, yes, we have a team in Michigan that has been in cannabis for five years that is responsible for all of the sales and marketing support in that state. Okay. Are they doing events out there too yet? Or is that uh, as, as the warmer months come uh, in? We will be. Yeah. There's a couple, uh, on a, a softball game this summer. My best yeah. friend uh, used to play for the Detroit Tigers. Mm. Uh, so we're going to organize a charity softball game. He's going to be one of the coaches and probably Austin Jackson, who I knew very well and have maybe dabbled in some marijuana smoking with, although I think he's still playing. So I won't say we have or not, uh, probably be one of the other coaches, or at least we'll, we'll, we'll get someone who's a, an old Tigers player and then bring some of the dispensary owners and players and kind of do a charity softball game, uh, as well as all the other small stuff. And like, we do all like, but as far as events, that's the one we got planned for the summer as a charity, big sponsor, charity softball game, branded clothing, all that stuff really so bring it to the community. You seem very control oriented though. Cause it's like, we want to control what our image looks like. We want to control what these events look like. We don't want to outsource it through somebody else. So, um, you know, when I remember I met you in one of the conversations I had at you, cause I was, you know, like, how do you not have your own strains that you've developed? And like, you know, this is the Higgs brand. And you had a very unique answer to that one, which I was not expecting, but like I've really grown to resonate that like you're going out and like, this is the feeling that I want. And, you know, making sure that when you're speaking to the the growers that are out there, like you're the final tester in all these, like it doesn't go in the product until like it gets your smoke of approval. Totally. And like, you know, it doesn't have to be the exact same strain, but I think we talk about like, I want to stay within this lane and you can find strains that like, whether, you know, different sativas are going to make you feel similarly the same thing. And it's, yeah, I want, I want to capture that feeling you're going to feel from it. Not necessarily like the taste profile necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is important. And I would like to get to, and don't get me wrong. Like, I think kind of having that IP behind uh, strains will be super important as we nationalize. Yep. Uh, but I don't think it's as important yet, but definitely on my radar to say, hey, we'd love, love to have a genetics catalog and partner with a group that says, hey, and we might have them, this new partner in Colorado. They're one of the, they're called Mayrocky Canna and they're mm-hmm. one of the best growers I've met. And they got a couple strains that are better than anyone. And so, you know, that's maybe if, if everything goes well as partnerships there, we say, hey, we'd love to take you to all the states. Like, let us have access to your strains and plug it into the growers that we work with. I think I saw today, actually, that uh, the DEA, like, officially came down that, like, cannabis seeds are 100% legal because there's a low THC content in them. So, like, there's they don't, like, fall into the regulatory claim of that. Interesting. Because I not- used to, talking about, like, going throwing it back to, like, the Amsterdam days and, like, my early growing days, I ordered all my seeds from Amsterdam through, like, Barney's had a great one, Willie Nelson and Laughing Buddha, gray area at cantaloupe haze and i used to ship them to my cousins in london and then they would ship them back to me because if every time it would show from amsterdam you get empty seed packets so uh-huh. i used to go through my cousins in london and they would ship it but good to know that you could just like get those because i'll I mean, bring some of those old i want to bring some of the old amsterdam strains back check google on that one yeah you had actually mentioned that you know in one of the articles that there's not like everything's kind of like Brian, a hybrid I'm right Brian now jail, not, yeah i'm like just check <laughs> on google please you bail me out. My, my 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 legal mind always wants to have a disclaimer on all these things but uh you had actually mentioned that in one of the interviews uh i had read that you're like i would love to be able to bring back some of these old strains because they're just kind of they've grown you know you don't you know what you're getting out there right now so like what did you mean by that like a trademark high school weed i would start a company called high school weed because mm-hmm. they're just like Unfortunately, too, we've lost a lot of genetics, like, you know, and everything has become a cross and like, I'm a, I'm a sativa guy. I'll always be a sativa guy, but I'm a pure sativa guy. And like, you can't find many pure sativas in California anymore because everything's been crossed because, you know, even like a blue dream, oh, we're getting four pounds of plant now. We'll just grow this. People are happy because it's cannabis. But I think we've lost the individual like we our our stuff is promoted as single strain which it is but i think we've even lost like what single strain even means because of all the crossover and genetics like i would love to go back to some early train wreck or some early green crack or you know those 
those early like hazes that were just like, th- these are pure and they take 12 weeks to grow. Like you still go into a store and the sativa costs $15 more than anything else because it takes another month to grow. And that is a mature consumer. I know that I'm willing to pay more. And then you get the OGs and these like hype beast brands that come in. It's like, oh, because I saw some rapper smoke this, like this is now $75 when really it takes way less skill to grow that than it does the pure sativa. So I'd like to just get back to like where the consumer understands what it actually takes to grow each one of these and is paying accordingly for those. Now, like we had this THC CBD pack that we can't sell anymore because I lose money on it. Mm-hmm. That's not good. You can't, I mean, that's, that's how businesses don't stay in business. No, I agree. <laughs> so you originally launched, you know, and I, I'm going to bring this really forward rather quickly, but you originally launched with that Indica and Sativa, then you branched out to a bunch of, of other products as well. And you kind of touched on it right there, but like, how did that evolution come? And like, now you're correcting back a little bit as well. And, and what's in store for, you know, the, the future products of where you're seeing things going. And, you know, for, for me, and it was always about like, you know, creating a single product category. And that's for me again, was pre-rolls. Like there's other companies that have done it well that says, Hey, here's our basket of goods. But for me, it was like, stay focused on the one thing that you love and are passionate about. And you think it, you know, can carry this through. So when we talk about acquisitions later, whatever, you own this. And then Doesn't it was hurt like, that pre-rolls okay. are a great seller too. So no, of course. And we, I saw that. And like the actual, like, I'm not someone who's not data driven in mm-hmm. all the studies that I was looking at, it was pre-rolls are on the rise in every state that's legalized because eventually you're going to get from this distrust to this trust to convenience. And that's where we are now, which is like people trust pre-rolls. So why would I ever roll something up if I can pay the exact same and it's rolled up in a nice, cute little box? I mean, I tried the other weekend, and I really was humbled by my lack of skills in, in that department. So, uh, so anyway, we, we want to be yeah. that kind of the American spirit of pre-rolls. And so we added the hybrid pack, we added a private reserve, and we, had, we added an infused pack. And now we're going to bring out in the next two months kind of an infused minis pack. I'll actually show you. I know we got no audio on here. But oh, tell I me love these those. Aren't the, the cutest how, things you've ever seen. Look how small they are in my hand. So now, those are about 10, like, what, uh, two-thirds the size of your normal pack? Yeah, I mean, I'll show, I mean, so this is so that's yep. the, like about half the size and like then twice the thickness. So it's just going to be, you know, ten point three five gram joints. Still get the same eighth in a box. They're just the infused mini. So like you're really getting the most bang for your so buck. You could have but, it on your own or share it with a friend, and you don't have like all this extra that's there. Yeah, I would buy those all day long. Those are the. Greatest. I think they're going to absolutely crush. <laughs> like, yeah, those are. Which is like I started with these, but like no. <laughs> No, those are, those are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Cause you're just like, you know, like, listen, I mean, you're sure to join out and you're just like, I'm not sure if I want to, you know, like it's not the best experience, but you have a little bit right there. And it's like a, a consumable dose right there. It's Especially like those, when it's infused too, where you're like, Oh, I'm just like, I'm going to get super high off these three hits that I have. And that's all you <laughs> like, need. Go for it. Yeah. That's all you need. So, um, you know, I know you had mentioned it earlier, like possibly edibles or whatever else. Is that something that you were toying with? I think I thought somewhere that you might be doing some mints or something. Yeah, I have designs and prototypes built for all this stuff. Okay. Um, I have edibles designed. I have mints designed. I have a singles uh, brand designed. And then these infused I'm bringing out. And then I have a concentrates logo that I've created as well, if we ever wanted to go into that. Wow. Wow. So what does the future look like for you guys? Like, obviously you're doing, you're moving into Michigan. That's done very well for you. You're very smart and data-driven for that. But like, as you continue to roll out, like, what do you need from the universe? What is that next grant? What is that next step for you guys as, as rolling this stuff out? As rolling the, as uh, money. Out? <laughs> money, okay. money is what, no. So basically what I'm going to do, and like, we are now generating, our P&L looks great. We can generate enough money to put back in the business to kind of add some of these other products to it. So I think first is like build a fence around the states that we're in mm-hmm. with not only the Higgs pre-roll products and the infused, but like, you know, figure out which of those places want mints, which of those places want edibles, which of those places want single joints, and then increase our basket size there. And we'll do some jarred flour because there's still some distrust. I would love someone to see a nug of Higgs flour and then a pre-roll pack and be like, oh, that's what the flour looks like. I can choose to pay for the expensive nug or I can pay the same ex- exact price we talked about for the conveniently rolled pack. Um, and so once I do that, then it's okay, taking the full basket of goods to other states mm-hmm. and saying, hey, let us take over your garden. Here's the strains we want to put into the flour and our pre-rolls. And here's what we're going to add as far as the edibles or mints or single joints or mm-hmm. concentrates. So I still think we got a lot of time because still a lot of states to legalize. And so I think we finally have moved out of the like 
quote unquote proof of concept phase into like, okay, the more money you give me, I can just kind of turn this on and exponentially grow, uh, which we haven't had for the past four years. What states do you see the most opportunity going into next? I mean, obviously, you know, like New York has a special place in your heart and so does Florida. Um, so how's that looking? Like that, like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would love Florida and New York to be the next states. Yep. Uh, I could see us dabbling in Arizona. Uh, but I think Illinois is still too kind of corporate MSO. Mm-hmm. You could launch there and partner with someone like an Ascend or whatever. And, but like, it feels very limited there. Massachusetts is intriguing. Uh, you know, there, there's no place that I don't think that we fit to be quite honest. It's just about what makes the most sense and what do those deals look like? You know, Florida is obviously super exciting because it's very, basically an oligopoly. Like yep. you get a partner with true leave and like all of a sudden you're in a hundred stores and like, you don't even have to really brand it. And you're like, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And if Soterra didn't have uh, you know, coral reefer already, I think your brand would line right in with that one. So totally. So we'll it, find someone who wants a partner with us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's amazing. Like I'm just, it's amazing the struggles that all different entrepreneurs have to go through in, in this business. And yours was a, a brand that was not, you know, exactly, it was a plant touching brand, but not plant touching. And I just, I loved the dynamics of it. I love the lifestyle nature of it. And I love the imaging and like the unifiedness that stretches across everything that you've touched on this one. And it really just resonated with me. And I wanted you to be able to share your story because I know there's a lot of people especially as things are getting ramped up here on the East coast, people are starting up these kind of lifestyle brands with this. And like, there's a lot of lessons I think you could share from them and learn from. And frankly, I'd love for you to be able to get distribution out here when, when things come online. So oh, me too. <laughs> um, any, uh, a few other, I actually have a few other parting questions um, as far as the, uh, the show goes, but like, being an entrepreneur in this industry is a boxing match and it's tough. And every day you're learning new lessons every day you're having to fight different fights, but um, aside from enjoying your own product, like what is your North star? Like what is that mission that you're trying to fulfill at, at the end of the day? Uh, and what keeps you going? I guess just kind of at the ultimate day, like honestly, a product that brings happiness to people like mm-hmm. well, our, I mean, Higgs is for a good time, but like Higgs is happiness. Like I'm a very social person. I'm out there in the world. Like I've connected with so many people through cannabis on like the core of what cannabis actually is. It's something that connects all of us. Like talk about New York. I've been in New York before where I'm smoking and joining the street and I see out of the corner of my eye, someone walking by and I just like, I know what they want. I'm like, Hey, do you want to hit this joint? Like, Oh my God, I would love to that. And they hit him like that was a lifesaver and they go along about their day. And it was just like those kind of interactions I think is what makes cannabis really cool. Yep. Uh, and what and why I like being in this industry through like all it. the headaches and all the things it's it's that it's the communal factor of cannabis it suits with your personality very well um so when you're not running the biz which is like never but like what are some of the things that you do to keep like your sanity and focus like what are some of the habits of an entrepreneur that you kind of build into your life to to be able to to, to besides to destroying grounded. every relationship I have. Yes. That one, besides that one. Yes. Those are, uh, those are great. Those, those are common for, habits as well. Yeah. Uh, for me, making sure that I'm staying, uh, like athletic and that doesn't like that. I use athletic because it, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's basketball, lifting weights, playing volleyball, playing golf, just something that is forcing your brain to think about something else. I'm at my most creative when I'm doing the most athletic work. The minute I'm stagnant and I've been in my house for 10 days and haven't moved or haven't really done anything, like I find myself caught and then you get boxed into a corner. So it's just about, you know, putting that step outside the box to allow your mind to think about something other than what this daunting thing that you've created, you know, that's weighing every second of your life down to, to take some focus off that. I like that. Exercise is a, is a, is a good one. Um, it gets your mind off a lot of things. So um, have there been really either cannabis founders or other really just important people in your life. Are there people that come to mind, maybe top two or three that for whatever reasons have really just inspired you uh, and some of the lessons that, that, that they've inspired you with? Yeah. And I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if this is going too big, but I got to say, like, I would say a year and a half ago, I read Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog. And to me, that was at the time, the most influential thing I could have ever read in my life. Because you're like, oh, Nike, this $26 billion company, like, you know, like, but you don't realize that's been a 40 year game for him. And then to see someone who's like 
been through all the struggles to have changed his name of his company to have gone to like wondering if he has money the next month to pay this shoemaker in, in, you know, Japan, like you're like, okay, this is what it takes. And someone who's done it before me has kind of not shown me the road, but shown me all the heartache. So like each one doesn't weigh you down so much of like, Oh, I don't need money next month either. Like, doesn't matter. As long as you stay, you talk about North star, as long as you just stay, like it's going to work out it will work out. The minute you say it won't, like you put fear into it, you're done. And so I think just like being able to take those lessons from a founder that I don't know personally, but has, you know, obviously built one of the more, you know, monumental companies in in the world, just be like, okay, just one day at a time, keep pushing forward, keep going towards your goal, whatever that is, is is super important. That's a phenomenal takeaway. This has been a great founder's journey. I really appreciate you sharing like all these insights, all the nuances, all the details here. Um, how can people connect with you? I know we've had a, a few mentions of it on here, but like last minute, they're on their phones walking around enjoying this podcast. Uh, What's the best at, way to at, start living the Higgs life? Uh, at Higgs on Instagram. That's okay. the best way. And I'm also like, I tune into that. So you're going to reach there. Um, www.higgs.life. That's our website. Uh, my personal is at Mr. Oliver Higgins on Instagram. I'm private, but like DM me, I'll respond. Uh, this was great. This was actually everything I was hoping it was going to be. And I think you left a lot of knowledge in the recording um, for everyone else. And I think you got to share your personality, which is really what I wanted to shine here because it shows up in the brand and what this is. And I've never seen something like so more resonating, um, you know, in an interview yet. And I haven't done one like this yet. It's a lot of like tech people or science people who really wanted a lifestyle brand. And I'm really happy that you were the first one on this, Holly. Awesome. Well, it's a huge pleasure of mine. Been wanting this for a while. So thank you for so much for having me on. Hey there. One quick thing before we go. If you've listened this far, you've likely got some value from the show. These episodes take a lot to produce, and all I'm asking for is some feedback. I hear this all the time, and honestly, usually ignore it too, but reviews have a huge ROI for us podcasters, especially the smaller ones. Taking less than a minute to write a review and sharing with your friends, colleagues, and followers on social media would mean the world to us. Thank you. Lit Up Founders is a Lit Up Media production. I'm your host, Brian Weber. This episode was edited by Anthony Margola and Brian Weber, mixed and mastered by Anthony Margola. Theme music courtesy of Justin Cruz of Cruise Control Music. You can connect with us on our website, litupfounders.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Lit Up Founders, and LinkedIn at Lit Up Media. Our email is feedback at litupmedia.com. Thanks for sharing the journey.